What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. At the age of 23, Danny Heinsohn had what most would consider a pretty typical American life. He was about to graduate college, had plans to take a trip abroad, and was looking forward to starting a career upon his return. That is until he was diagnosed with brain cancer. In a flash, all of his goals, hopes, and dreams were put on hold. He now had to face the ultimate roadblock. After a successful surgery that resulted in the removal of a tumor the size of a tennis ball, Danny no longer found himself an athletic 23-year-old. Instead, he was on the road to recovery where he had to relearn simple tasks such as talking, walking, and tying his shoes. Fast forward 20 years, Danny has finished an Ironman, taken that trip abroad, he's a nationally recognized sales coach, an author, and even started a nonprofit that gives cancer survivors college scholarships. What happens when your entire life is flipped upside down in an instant? How do you turn a seemingly hopeless situation into a successful journey? Let's find out with Danny Heinsohn on the Right Place Right Now podcast. Danny, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for joining us. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here, Brandon. It's been a while. It has been a while. We go back to our life coaching program. Uh, and since then, you have been a busy man. You've got some sales consulting. You've been handing out thousands of dollars of scholarships. Give us a little insight into what you're working on now. Yeah, well, let's take it back to 2020, right? You know, everybody had big plans for 2020. And then, of course, the lockdown with COVID happened. And, uh, you know, 2020 was a big year for me, regardless, because it was my 20th year remission from brain cancer. And, you know, you know me, I like to celebrate my milestones. And we can get into that a little bit later. And, you know, 20 years, a pretty big milestone in being a cancer survivor, let alone a brain cancer survivor. And um, my foundation actually had our 10th year anniversary last year as well. So that 10 year mark for the foundation and 20 year mark remission. So it was a, it was a great time for me to transition regardless. And I was already had my sights on, you know, going deeper into my, my speaking and, and coaching career into 2021. Uh, Cause I really wanted to create a sustainable infrastructure for my nonprofit and uh, we're there. I mean, it's always a work in progress, but we've got an, an incredible team. Um, a lot of passionate people. Um, now we're getting our scholarship recipients involved with our social media and marketing so they can build up their resumes. But um, so in, in Q2 was, you know, we had is typically our biggest quarter for fundraising. And with COVID, uh, we had to kind of just wait and see, you know, you, you can't, you can't stress out about, you know, certain things you can't control. So you focus on what you can control. So I've really pivoted towards LinkedIn, you know, when we didn't know what the, the governor was going to create for social distancing restrictions. So we just went online, just like everybody else. So long story short, connected with a good handful of people on LinkedIn and that were all sales professionals. We, we practiced the craft day in and day out. And uh, we were all invited to speak on the industrial sales podcast 
in April. And it's, it's funny, we're coming up almost to the one year anniversary of that. So we're actually gonna have an anniversary episode of kind of how far we've come along since then. But one of the gentlemen who was on that podcast episode, his name is Daniel Burkaghetto, and he's from Missouri. And uh, he reached out, he said, dude, let's connect, man. I would like to little, learn a little bit more about your story. And you know, I told him what I told you on my, my 10th year or my 20th year remission from brain cancer, 10th year anniversary of the foundation. And I was planning to make a pivot anyway with more depth in the speaking and coaching space. And it just so happens that Daniel is with, uh, has been with Southwestern coaching for the past two years. And he was uh, at the level to where he was able to recruit. So just with the nature of what I had going on with the foundation and dealing with COVID, the foundation took priority one to make sure that we were able to still fulfill our promises and our mission. And we ended up awarding $33,000 in scholarships last year. Our target was a lot higher than that, but, um, you know, we were still impacting lives. And, uh, you know, once pretty much got um, closure to our, what we set out to do from the beginning of the year at the end of Q3. So uh, it was my time to kind of really focus back on transitioning into the coaching space and, you know, there's a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into being an entrepreneur, let alone a, a nonprofit entrepreneur as well. You know, you gotta, you gotta learn how to build a business. And I, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to, to make that sacrifice again, starting at a foundational level with my coaching and speaking business, even though I was working through that with Southwestern Consulting, it was pretty much everything that I was doing anyway but they, already, they had infrastructure, they had a platform. And, you know, despite COVID in 2020, we had a record-breaking year in coaching in 2020. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of like how resilient this, this group is and how much heart everybody has within the company. I'm just, uh, I'm honored to be a part of it. Anybody that found success in 2020, I'm proud of and happy for. So congrats. I don't think that should go just skate by. I think we need to draw attention to that. Nice job. That That's not for nothing. You had to put a lot of work into that. Talk to us a little bit more about the foundation because that really has been your baby for the last decade. And I know you're tra tra trying to transition out of it, but what is the foundation's mission? What is your role and responsibility? Just kind of high level for some context. You know, when you survive cancer, you have a tendency, there's like milestones, you tend to have a tendency to celebrate milestones, you, you finish your last treatment, that's, that's monumental, and then you go into remission, and hopes that the disease doesn't come back. So you go 30 days out one month out cancer free, that's a big milestone. One year out, it's a huge milestone. And then when you get to five years, it's quote unquote cured. So I'm thrilled that I'm uh, 20 years remission. And with that, I've, I've created a, I reinvent myself every five years. I've, I can go back to when I finished chemo back in uh, July of 2000. And every five years, I, I reinvent myself in some sort of way. Um, 2010 was when I founded My Hometown Heroes. It was called that because the people who were there for me in the hospital during my trying times, they were my heroes. Uh, and it's fun because I didn't have had no idea on like how to build a website back in 2009 before I started it. So uh, one of my clients who was in the NASCAR business out of uh, work for Roush Fenway out of North Carolina, 
he consulted me because I worked with his wife who was on the brand activation side of, of Miller Coors for the NFL activations and NASCAR and whatnot. So I'm good friends with, uh, with Brian and Tiffany and uh, Brian just kind of helped me along the way. And he said, well, my hometown heroes are, or he said, hometown heroes is taken, but my hometown heroes is available. So we, we picked up the website and it actually has a better ring to it because when you say my hometown heroes, you take ownership of it. So that's, that's been our jam. And we are, a, we are a national scholarship fund and our mission is to help bridge the gap between cancer and college one scholarship at a time. So I love that, but what does that practically mean? Yeah. So, you know, I survived cancer at the age of 23, 24. Now the mission of our foundation is to, uh, you know, not only help them through school, but also give them a, a platform and a voice because there are a lot of things that go unspoken through the cancer journey that people might not want to talk about because um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough subject, subject matter. Like with, with my family, I knew that I'm an only child for one. And my folks, I knew they, they just poured everything they had to, to get me well and, you know, I wanted them to have a normal life again. And I had things that I was battling with and I didn't want to burden my parents with them. And I, I leaned back on endurance sports and that was kind of like my, uh, my salvation actually, because it helped me navigate through anxiety and, and depression. But all of our scholarship recipients, they went off, they go through all the same emotions, you know, loneliness, uh, isolation, um, you may be afraid to reach out to people. Um, so it's, you know, it's evolved to more than just giving them scholarship money. We just, uh, in celebration of our 20 year anniversary, one of our pivots through COVID is we deployed our inaugural survivor summit and we had kids from all across the country talked on topics such as uh, leadership, mental health, how to um, position yourself to earn more scholarships. And we had uh, a session on family dynamics through cancer. So uh, Kevin and Haley, Kevin's a dad and Haley um, is his daughter who's one of our $5,000 recipients. And they went deep, they went deep into their dynamic. So cancer affects the family in every single aspect. Yeah, can you get into that a little bit? Because I honestly have no experience firsthand with cancer. And and one of the things that with other guests that we've talked about, obviously different contexts like parenting or entrepreneurship, this is a reoccurring theme that everybody feels like they're alone and that their battles are theirs alone. But there's this community of support that you're building to help these individuals fight this unknown, this uncertainty. What are some of those dynamics as you're going through that, that you didn't that were like holy crap i didn't realize that this was going to be a part of my journey well i mean my it all goes all the way back to when i was in the hospital you know i graduated with a degree in electrical engineering 23 years old i was going to backpack europe with my best friends and then had these recurring headaches and they were worse than ever the day i was supposed to leave for europe so my dad and i went to the emergency room and after two and a half hours of testing uh, i meet my dad back in the waiting room and he says it doesn't look like you're going to europe the doctors think you have a tumor. So, mm-hmm, yep, yep. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming they gave him the choice whether 
if he wanted to break the news to me or if they were going to break the news to me. So that's how that went. Um, but so I got I get back in my in the in the hospital room and I I mentioned this in my TED talk and I also mention it in my book that you know my hospital room became a bouquet of hope with dozens of floral arrangements, hourly visitors, and stacks of get well cards. And it was during that time when I was in the hospital that my journey was no longer about me. I was fighting for them because I was the gratitude in my heart was so immense that my whole reason for fighting was for them. I, would, <laughs> I didn't want to let anybody down. That community support is, is huge for anybody, and, you know, in times of, of COVID or times of a cancer diagnosis or, a, you know, a life-threatening injury or, or illness. I mean, that's the foundation of my hometown heroes. You know, that, that's the core of, of, of who we are is to, to help is to help other people. And that's how I've always lived my life. It's like, you know, you probably heard the saying, you know, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. You know, my, my book is called For a Reason because I look back on my life that everything that I was going through, all the trials and tribulations through cancer, chemotherapy, depression, anxiety, um, and then transitioning into endurance sports. And then, you know, all that, all that focus that I had to put in to be successful um, in business. I mean, I, I guess like all those disciplines came from going through cancer because I had to focus so much like on, on the process of going through treatment. Yeah. Cause as you're going through that, you're not able to take on these other things, right? Like your focus is to beat the disease. Yeah. I mean, every, every so everybody's built differently genetically. Um, so the conditions that cause me to get cancer, you know, you live in a certain environment, you have your own genetic, unique genetic makeover, you have your own lifestyle, I have my own lifestyle, you have your own food allergies, I have my food allergies that I might not be aware of. But I think it's just a combination as I write in my book, it's, um, you know, you have you have your, your what you consume in terms of food, you have your your lifestyle, you have your exercise. And then you have genetics. So a combination of all those four, you know, if it's something in your genetics that causes you to get cancer, but you're in the same risk conditions as everybody else, but they didn't get cancer. So that all leads me to believe that the common denominator, I think genetics played a strong part of it, but um, I think a little bit of everything contributes to that. And how long was your battle? Yeah. Diagnosed in May 99, I had three craniotomies, massive seizure complications. I had to relearn how to walk, talk and tie my shoes. And then I, um, you know, went through speech therapy and memory therapy. And then they found out what was in my brain was malignant. So they took a racquetball out of my head to begin with. And they couldn't take any more of what was cancerous in my brain because I could be in a permanent state of paralysis. So they, they zapped me with an entire year, year of chemotherapy up in Portland, Oregon for an entire year. Yeah, that's a pretty hopeless situation for on the surface. But you, you talk about, you know, in your book, you created this bouquet of hope. How did you do that? Like tangibly, how do you create hope in a situation that hopeless? 
you know, when you're, when you're 23 years old, you still feel like you're indestructible. <laughs> Either that or just plain ignorant. Even with brain cancer? You know, it, it, it's so surreal at the time. It's nothing you could even, you could even fathom. Like I even like reference in my book, it's like, I, I got like abducted by aliens and they beam me up and they're, they're laser and operated on me. <laughs> um, so it's like, I mean, you know, what it, what it all came down to was people being there for me. And the, there was, there was always, there was fear. I mean, there, there was fear within the family and everything, but um, at the end of the day, you have the power to choose your thoughts. You have the power to choose how you respond to something. And it comes down to two things. It, you know, comes down to you live through love or you live through fear. And, but the support that was there for me through my time of treatment, man, it was, it was all, all love and, Anytime the journey got really difficult, you know, of course there was fear involved. There's, there was no certainty that I would have lived beyond my third craniotomy, you know, because it's always when you're operating on your brain, there's always risk of a, more seizures or a stroke, or you could even die from that operation. But I got through it, and uh, I like to think it was because a nurse who took care of me in intensive care, because she was smoking hot, man. <laughs> well, that, that always helps <laughs> uh, whatever keeps you inspired yeah, there's hope in that <laughs> right? that's funny take us back a little bit before because you said like you graduated with a degree in engineering electrical engineering i think you said right mm -hmm. you you had a path laid out in front of you and then that obviously was destroyed there's a lot there other than just beating cancer there's a whole reevaluating who you are on this planet that for me seems daunting is this something that you've had in you since you were younger your ability to you know evolve every five years like you said what strengths from your past were you able to use to get through all of this well i think when you're when you're in high school right you're still trying to like establish your identity figure out who you are some people the process is faster than than others and you know i wanted to be a professional baseball player when i was in high school that didn't quite happen and i figured if i'm going to be working the majority of my life i want to be making good money so i can do the things i want to do you know so i was like well i mean like engineering seems like a good path i hated accounting for one um, um, so I just, I just went on that path. I started out as a civil engineer. Then I found out about all the liabilities of what could happen is if your bridge breaks. So I was like, yeah, I'm not ready for that. So I pivoted to mechanical and didn't do extraordinarily well in uh, statics and dynamics. I got D for duns in those classes. And, but I had a really strong, uh, I had a really strong base for electrical engineering so I was on the five-year plan and I graduated with a degree in electrical engineering. And, you know, back in 99, this is like, you know, the rise of the dot-com, you know, as the dot-com bubble started blowing up, right? So jobs were plentiful. You know, I, I could start one job starting at 40 or 50,000, leave one day, come back to a new job starting at 60. That's how, that's how it was back then. But, um, you know, to kind of put things into context, I was diagnosed in May of 1999. The dot-com recession started in March of 2000 while I was still going through treatment. 
that was a two and a half year recession. So even when I finished chemotherapy, there were still no jobs out there. So even with five, I would have had to have at least five years of practical experience in the field to even have a shot at a job. So, you know, going through cancer, it's like, I realized that life is short, dude. I got to be doing the things that I, I enjoy. And this is where the, the law of attraction came in because I was a huge concert junkie in college. I used to drive to the Bay Area to go see Metallica, the Foo Fighters, all kinds of punk bands. And that was really like my, one of my forms of extracurricular activities in college is going to concerts, um, that and playing intramural sports. So um, music was very therapeutic and healing for me, added a lot of meaning to what I was going through in my journey through cancer. So when I finished my last treatment in July of 2000, I was at the gym and I took a spinning class and I decided that as I'm rebuilding my new life, I'm going to become a certified spinning instructor because I get to exercise, I get to motivate people, I get paid, but best of all, I get to play my own music. So, <laughs> so like I became my own DJ and it was, it was awesome. So I got certified at the end of 2001 and I started picking up classes as a sub and the owner of a startup, the founder of a startup company walked into my class and he said, dude, man, you play kick-ass music. You should just take over this class. And for like the next six months, we never talked about business. We just talked about rock and roll and the music. And then I, I did a hundred mile bike ride around Lake Tahoe. And I, I keynoted for the entire group. There's like 3000 people that came in from all over the country for this bike ride for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I was one of the honorary speakers so that finishing that bike ride was really closure for me to, to like, okay, now I'm ready to move on. Like I needed to put a, I need to put a, put a lid on this whole cancer thing. You know, I need to come out strong. And then, so I mean, at, at that same time, uh, Seth was, came to my class again in August and we just started talking business and he's all, he's all, what do you do? I'm like, well, I was actually working at Lowe's at the time because we were still in the dot-com recession, but I was training for my first hundred mile bike ride. And he's all, what do you want to do? And he's all like, I like to be a writer for Rolling Stone or National Geographic. And he's all like, oh dude, I know so-and-so from Polestar magazine. And Polestar.com is where I used to go visit all the time when I was in college to find out which bands were playing <laughs> within driving distance. So that's how I knew Soundgarden was coming to Sacramento. You know, I saw Soundgarden, dude, back in like 96. Um, so I already had a strong affinity with the Polestar brand and he was already partners with Polestar. And he's like, well, what kind of music do you like? And I'm like, well, oh, I'm a big 311 fan and Incubus. And he's all, dude, those are my clients. And I'm like, dude, and we're like, dude. And uh, so he starts telling me about what he does and his uh, company, back then was called Access Pass and Design and they made backstage passes for concert tours. And I was like, dude, sign me up. So they hired me the next day and, uh, you know, Seth took me under his wing. He mentored me, he's a credible friend. So one of my best friends to this day. And, um, you know, he, he got me started, got me started in, in the sales part of things. And, and I, basically told Seth, you know, after like the first three months, I said, dude, I want to build the entire sports side of this business. Like you did for the rock and roll side of the business. 
So there was three principal owners of the company at the time. And as long they knew I was passionate, they knew what I was trying to establish my identity. I was super hungry and I did whatever it took to get there. And next thing you know, I'm working with the New York Yankees. I'm working with college programs that just won college bowl games. Um, I'm working with one of the biggest sports marketing agencies on the planet that does brand activations for like Procter and Gamble and Miller Coors for the Olympics or, you know, the Daytona 500, the Super Bowl. So man, I, 2007 was like really the, the year that my career like really blew up. Once people know you're working with the New York Yankees, they're like, Oh, I'm all ears to hear what you have to say. Um, but you know, it takes, it takes a lot of work to break ground in a new, new market when nobody knows who you are, but you just gotta, you have to have that like laser focus and that clarity. You have, you know, have to know what you want when nobody else can see the, the, the destination, but you, and just having that belief system that you can make it happen and just, you know, learning, failing, learning from your failures. Um, they're not failures if you learn from them, right? Um, yeah, just just figuring things out. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a key point. Nobody cares who you are until you prove to them that, you've, that you are somebody, you know, like everybody now says, oh, you know, Danny, he, he works with professional baseball team. He works, you know, does all this cool stuff with all these cool sports teams, but it didn't start there. It started with that one connection and that one relationship. So as somebody who's trying to get into something new like that, how do you start to form those? Like, how do you see that vision without anybody else caring or seeing it? You know, being a, being a key, keynote speaker, I wanted to really harness the lessons of 20 years remission from brain cancer. And I asked myself, if I was to deliver a message of um, what it about success, it came down to three things. Um, came down to three, dis so I'm an Ironman triathlete, right? So how many disciplines are in a triathlon? Three. Three, right? So there's, there, there, which are what? Running, cycling, and swimming. And swimming, yep. So yeah, swim, bike, run. But there's actually, do you know there's actually a fourth discipline to triathlon? It's called, it's called transition. It's a time it takes to get from the swim to get on the bike and then the time it takes to get from the bike to the run. One minute or one second too long in transition can cost you the race if you're competing for a top three spot on the podium. So taking those lessons to where I got stuck in transition during my races, it was that one minute or that one and a half minutes, that was the difference between me standing on the metal podium or me admiring the winners as a spectator. How does that translate into what you're doing now? And how do you, how do you apply that elsewhere? Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is what I apply. So the first discipline to success is clarity. What do you want to accomplish and why is that important to you? Um, so let me, let me take you back to when I was finished cancer and chemotherapy, because I had this aspiration to go to Europe, right? After I graduated and my two of my best friends I grew up with, they ended up going without me and it sucked for all of us. So when I finished chemo, um, you know, I still had, I'm still having seizure complications, but I had this aspiration. I want to go to Europe. I got to go to Europe. I got to go to Europe. I was like attached to this outcome, right? 
And for months, I struggled with this. And I had like, I felt like I couldn't move forward with my life until I went to Europe. And then I just came to my self-awareness. It's like, I asked myself a different question. It's like, well, what, what would my life look like if I decided to not go to Europe and focus on the present and focus on my healing and developing myself? And that moment of clarity, when I decided to let go of that aspiration to go to Europe, that moment of clarity was when the entire universe expanded for me. Because when you're attached to an outcome, it's hard to see other opportunities. As soon as I let go of that aspiration, I wasn't attached to that outcome of going to Europe. I mean, I probably wouldn't have seen the opportunity opportunity to to meet Seth, who was the found one of the founding um, principal owners of Access, the backstage pass company, back in the day. If I, if I was still attached to that outcome of going to Europe, but having that moment of moment of clarity of letting that go, just open up the universe for me. If I still held on to that aspiration 20 years later, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have made it that far. You know, I had to be able to explore other possibilities. Nice. What are the other two elements of success that you pulled out of your triathlete? There were three, right? There were three. Yeah. So the first discipline is clarity. What do you want to accomplish and why is that important to you? Um, stuff that we talked about, you know, through, through coaching, you know, asking those type of questions. Um, the second discipline is commitment how do you define success and what is necessary to achieve it? There are several stories that tie into this as well as clarity, but one of them was um, in 2001, 11 months after I was done with chemo, I got invited to participate in a team and training for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They had a, a kickoff celebration for the people who had trained for the 100 mile bike ride and for those who were training to run a marathon in San Diego. And the cycling coach at the time invited me over to his shop and he says, dude, you could come on down to my shop and pick out a bike and you can come out and ride it with us, you know, however long you want, um, just come out and enjoy the day with us. And I was like, man, I haven't really been on a bike since I was in college, but I came to his shop and um, I got on the bike the morning in, in South Tahoe and the perimeter around South, South Tahoe is 72 miles. And then to do the hundred miles, you have to go to trucking back to make the hundred miles. And I was still, I was still in a funk. I was still bat battling depression and anxiety and everything. And I just, I needed to get out of the house and try something new. So when you start the, the bike ride around Lake Tahoe, you start from South shore, you go counterclockwise. The first stop is called Emerald Bay. And I remember stopping at Emerald Bay and like seeing the sunrise. And I knew that the day had something special in store for me. And I ended up losing, losing Dan, who was the guy who let me borrow one of the bikes from his shop. And I get to the second rest stop. It's called Homewood, Homewood Ski Resort. So that's 25 miles into the ride. And there's just thousands, you know, hundreds of people around doing this bike ride. Just this whole celebration of life, their own journey, you know, in their minds, whatever, whatever it may be. I'm feeling, I'm feeling so good about like all this energy and all these amazing people. Like I, I could theoretically ride around the entire lake for 72 miles, but I got to find Dan cause I'm, I can't do this by myself. And I don't know where Dan just shows up after I like lost him after the second, after the previous eight station, he's all what, you know what? I'm going to coach you to get you around this lake. So we get to Kings beach and it was the lunch stop. And I probably had like five sandwiches and, I wanted to sleep forever. 
Uh, How far in are you at this point? Uh, I was probably about 45 miles in to the ride. So from Emerald or from, uh, from Kings beach, the next H station is about 800 feet of climbing on the bike to Spooner summit. And, you know, I, I, cause I had all that food. I was like, I, I can do this. So I get to the top of Spooner and I'm just, I've never run this far in my entire life. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, God, it's all downhill from here, but it's not, it's a bunch of rolling Hills for like another 15 or 20 miles to get to get around the lake and we get to this part called zephyr cove which is like right after the last aid station and i just told i was like i had never been so tapped out and so exhausted in my entire life and i just wanted to get the bike ride done with i was like the hell with this so dan and i are at this at this um on the side of the road and he's all you know what we're gonna wait here as long as we need to because you're gonna finish this ride. And um, there's these tennis courts. Like I remember like when I was like in middle school when we first got our license to drive, we'd come down to South Shore and we go to the arcade and play video games. And uh, I remember like on that drive, there's always all these tennis courts right before you could see South Shore where the bike ride started. And when I saw those tennis courts, I was like, that's like when like the rapture and like the emotion started really, you know, infuse my soul and my body at that time and I, I crossed that finish line the 72 miles and uh, I, I, I just remember what Lance Armstrong said when he finished his first tour to France um, back in 99 so Lance is a hero of mine like he finished his tour around the time I was diagnosed in 99 and he says to the media if you ever have a second chance in life to do anything you have to go all the way and I knew at that moment when I finished that bike ride, I knew I was gonna go all the way the next year. I was gonna join team in training. I was gonna train for the whole 100 mile bike ride and I was gonna raise all the money that I need, needed to that year. So that was 2001, 2002 was when I did the bike ride. That was the same year that I met Seth with Access when I got certified to be a spending instructor. And I guess you could say from there, you know, the rest is history in terms of that part of my life, that part of my career. So that it was, it, that, that was my commitment. My commitment was to finish that hundred mile bike ride and raise all the money. And I, I can, I can bring up lots of stories on how commitment to the process, you know, I committed to doing an Ironman to celebrate my 10th year anniversary uh, of remission. I started my foundation at, at my 10th year and of remission as well. So I, I was reinventing myself again. So we've got the clarity. We've got the commitment. What's that third one? So the third discipline is community because we can't do it alone. There's no, there's no question about it because we need each other to succeed. So once you're, once you're clear on what you want to accomplish and you commit to the process, you can't do it alone. Like if you have, if you have major goals, like you need people, you need people who have been there, done that people who are just like supporting a business. Like you, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you start a business, like you need to learn how to, how to run a business and you need, you need mentorship. If you're trying to scale a company, you know, you can't, what, what got you to a certain point, you can't get there doing the same thing you did. You need to expand. You need to be more resourceful. Um, you can never be afraid to ask for help. So how do you fight that? Because I have a natural tendency to do it on my own. I'm the, I got this, get out of my way. I'll figure it out. 
and I think you're right. In my experience, you've got to have the community to get past. You can take it so far, but the only way to take it to the next level is with that community and with that support. How does somebody find that in themselves to be like, you know what? I don't know enough or I'm not good enough and I need the community to build me up or take me over this hill. Mm -hmm. It's the pain, man. How much are you willing to suffer before you ask for help? <laughs> yeah, well, and I think a follow-up a, a follow to that is how do you find that community? Even once you get to the point where you say, I need help, how do you even find it? I think that's where a lot of people get caught up is you don't even know. Like, I know I need help, and I've been there in my own business before. I need help with this. I don't even know where to find that help. How do you find it? Well, I think it goes back to clarity, right? Because um, I think like-minded people are attracted to like-minded things. So if, um, you, if there's other entrepreneurs out there, for example, who are starting a business, they're going through all the same trials and tribulations you are. You can lean on each other for support. If you're, if you're training for a marathon, for example, I mean, running could be very lonely, right? So you run with a group, you run with a team, you know, you have good conversations, you build relationships through all those miles you're putting in. That ties back into, uh, into community because it sucks doing things alone. You know, you, you could have, you could have passion. You, you probably heard the saying, you know, if you want to go far, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. I think that that that's so true. Like with, with my foundation, for example, I was, I was so passionate and I was able to raise a lot of money on my own. But the second I realized that if this thing is going to become sustainable, I need to build a team. And because I knew what I was passionate about, I was able to find other people who were passionate about what I was passionate about. They either became volunteers, they became board members, they were, became donors that clarity is where, where it all begins. Like, what do you want to accomplish and why is that important to you? And that, that, that why, that purpose is always going to drive you. So when the going gets tough, you know, you have to think back to the reason why you started the race in the first place. Because it's like running a marathon, right? You know, 26.2 miles. And have you guys heard of the, the proverbial wall in a marathon? Oh, I've hit that wall real hard. Yeah, right? <laughs> so about what about between like what miles 18 and 22 something like that yep mile 22 every time especially in chicago uh so we ran the chicago marathon a handful of times and it's the worst part of the race is mile 18 to 22 it's out in it's on a black flat top you're out in the sun it's just concrete barriers beside you there's nothing around and that wall is real all of a sudden you'll have a good stride and then it'll just your body will tank so when you hit that wall, like, how did you get through it? I, for me, like, I'm, my friends have a saying that they say, I got a little stupid cowboy in me. Like I am stubborn. I push through it. And eventually you get that at that point, it's like your fourth or fifth wind. Mm -hmm. Plus all the cheering fans and everything. Yeah. Once you come back down to like mile 25 and there's people around, they lift you up, you know, and this is my problem since you're getting into this is I think I could be a really good runner. Like I have a, a sub three thirty marathon and I've never trained with anybody. Like that's just me on my own hitting the pavement. I think if I had a community around me, I could run Boston. I could qualify for Boston, but I had that limitation of, no, I got to do this on my own. 
I mean, but it comes down to clarity. Like, have, I mean, do you want to qualify? If, if you ever wanted to qualify for Boston, you would be resourceful. And if you if you if you were doing a third three thirty marathon and you need to get to a sub three ten to qualify for Boston, do you think you could do it on your own, or do you think you would? No, I know I can't because I tried. <laughs> So you got the commitment piece figured out, Brandon. You just don't have the other two yet. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just take it back to like, so, you know, Meb Kofleski, right? He's the first American to win the Boston Marathon in over 31 years. Oh, back, yes. Okay. Back in 2014, the, yep. after the Boston Marathon bombing. So I met Meb. In 2014, I, I re, was called to re, uh, accept the Sports Travel Humanitarian Award in 2014 in Vegas. And Meb was one of the speakers because the Boston Marathon won a Sports Travel Award that year as well. Learning about Meb's story and what motivated him, it wasn't about him, it was for the city of Boston. For you, Brandon, when you hit that proverbial wall, you know, the, you, know you cowboy up or whatever, but what's the reason why you wanted to run the marathon in the first place? There was a bunch of reasons, but really it was just to prove to myself that I could do it. I, I was at a transition in my life and I needed something to drive and to push towards. Mm -hmm. So that's your why that's your, you had clarity, right? Mm -hmm. You had, you had a purpose to, to, to drive you forward to do this marathon. It's such, it's such a pro profound lesson. And I sometimes get emotional talking about it, especially like if I'm on stage, Meb won the marathon by like 12 seconds that year. The first American to win the Boston Marathon in, in 31 years. And it was all about purpose. So when he gets to mile 22, he hits that wall, right? That proverbial wall, but he had a, he had a deeper purpose and he started getting cramps and he had three choices. One, I can give into the pain and I could slow down a little bit, let my body recover, but I can't give up that mental edge. I could maintain the gap or I can push even harder through the pain and extend the gap. So we had three choices when the going got tough. I use that analogy, you know, not only from that, but through like when you commit to training for something big, like a marathon or an Ironman or starting a foundation, whatever it is, it's the reason that got you the start of the race is what's going to, it's what's going to get you to the, to cross that finish line. So as long as you're true to that purpose, that clarity on why you decided to, to train for that marathon, that's going to be the reason and the purpose that's going to get you across. So your purpose has to be bigger, much bigger than your ego. Purpose is a, a service mentality. You're there to serve or, you know, or prove something to yourself. Right. Right. So how do we find that purpose? Because I think, and, and I would like to take this into more applicable areas of your life. Like not everybody's going through brain cancer and then going to, you even said like, I couldn't even walk or speak. I had to relearn how to do all these. And now I'm talking about a hundred mile bike ride and an Ironman. That's out of touch for a lot of people, especially in COVID right now. Like it's enough for me just to do a 30 minute workout off the couch four or five days a week. Right bring that into some tangible context for somebody who's not such a, an achiever like you are. Well, I mean, a perfect example is coaching our, our team at Southwestern consulting. We, we coach, we have coaches in eight different countries. The primary reason that people hire us is to help 
we help people achieve their goals in life is really the, the fundamental core of our, of our mission. And they're all sales professionals. They're all just getting started out in sales or they're sales managers or they're, 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 you know, they're C-suite type of people. Uh, and everybody's kind of on their different journey and they all have their goals. And our, that's our mission is to help people achieve their goals. And that primary falls in the wheelhouse of sales. You know, some people, they get into coaching because they need direction. I don't know what I want to do, but we help them figure that out. You know, I, I, I meet a lot of people. It's like, God, I don't, I don't even know what I want to do when I grow up. Brandon, as you know, you know, we, we went through RIPEC together. We help people get clear even when they, they're not clear themselves. We ask the, the questions that they never thought about themselves. And when someone else can ask that question to you to challenge your beliefs, to make you really think about things, and that, that's, when, that's when breakthroughs start to happen. You know, maybe, you know, everybody's on their own journey and in their own situation, but I think inherently we all have a yearning to be something greater, to, to achieve something or to be bigger than who we are, to, to challenge ourselves. And I mean, that's what we practice, you know, every day at, at Southwestern is, you know, people have these goals. They want, they want to do 80 deals this year, or they want to do hundred or whatever. And, you know, we, we, we sit down with them and we say, well, okay, well, okay, you're doing this. How's that serving you? <laughs> you know, how, how, how could we look at that differently? So what is the most common roadblock that you see with your clients in that? Because I, I think we're all made to do something. We're all created to do something on this earth. But there's always this limitation of like fear, or, you know, it's too scary. It's too big. It's too, you know, you name it. What are you seeing a lot in the field of like what what's holding people back the most? Themselves. In which way? Well, they don't know what they don't know, right? They have they have limiting beliefs based on how they were conditioned growing up. Coaching's all about holding people accountable to their goals, right? You know, they, they, wanna, they wanna achieve something, but they don't have anybody to hold them accountable for. And we help them get way beyond their comfort zone so they can enable that room for abundance to get them out of their current belief system on what they thought was true about success. Because if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always got. Right. So, you know, in the, in the coaching space, we're trying to, to help them shift what they're currently doing, their, their bad habits, whether it's time management, whether it's, you know, in sales, whether it's like getting better at closing a deal, whether it's asking for referrals, just jumping into that fear and, and coaching them through it. Even if it's a role-playing scenario, you got to get comfortable with, with being uncomfortable if you want to grow. And that's, that's what we're here as coaches. We, we hold people accountable for, um, to achieve their goals. That accountability is a really good point to bring up because you didn't specifically mention it, but your community around there, even if there's not set accountability practices or standards, having a group of people, and this is part of why Travis and I decided to do this podcast together is we've both kind of dabbled in it individually and had the idea of it. But now that I'm accountable to him and he's accountable to me, it's much easier to talk yourself into doing the things you need to do. 
a coach is a great construct to build that accountability and intentionally in your experience of all these communities you're building, how do you see that accountability flush out and what's the value of having maybe that type of setup versus a coaching setup or vice versa? Well, I think everybody wants to be a part of something is what it all comes down to. And sometimes a lot of times you don't get what you don't ask for. And in, in, in the context of the foundation, we, we've got a pretty good composition of board members from different professions and everything. And, you know, all, granted, a lot of them's lives have been affected by cancer and they, they just want to make a difference. They don't, they don't seek recognition, but it's something that affected them in their, in their lives, whether they had the disease themselves or they had a family member that had this disease or they lost someone to the disease. It's just being a part and contributing to something greater rather than feeling hopeless. I don't, I don't know what to do and giving people, giving people a platform to say, God, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to be a part of this or, you know, especially like now, um, you know, you, you hear the news a lot about, I, I can't imagine, like, I, I'm not, I don't have kids. Um, a lot of, I got a lot of friends that have kids and I, I see, I know just through social media that are teachers, the struggle through virtual learning, everybody's in it together. We all have to figure it out. Um, and we just have to, we just have to persevere because, you know, if you're if you're a teacher, you you got in the field because you have a passion for helping educate kids or making a difference in the community. That's a really good example of teachers tying it back to your analogy of hitting the wall. COVID has proven to be a wall for many industries, many people in different areas of life. Teachers are a great example, right? Like if your passion is to teach, like you said, the COVID wall you'll prevail. Like there are some phenomenal teachers. We have some really close friends that are doing unreal things and connecting to students through this time. Kids that don't have access to computers, don't have access to internet, that they can't just do this and show up to class. But that, that why that pulls them through the wall, I think that's a great example of what you were demonstrating earlier with that. Yeah. I think, um, I have so many, you know, as, as you do as well. Yep. We have so many beautiful friends that are in, that are teaching kids and educating. And that's what we, that's like the, the core, that's like the foundation of our future is education, you know, for my hometown heroes, this, that that's part of us too. You know, we're, we're there to help them, you know, provide scholarship money for them. But we also, we're in a, in a, in the phase of our foundation right now is we're helping them. Like we have our first, our, we actually brought on our first intern who was actually a recipient. Who's our, he's our intern right now. Our first scholarship recipient is now an intern um, this year. So now we're giving him the tools to develop his resume. Oh, you like to video, you like to make videos, dude, here's, you know, so he's doing all our videos, right? So now when he graduates, he's got this toolkit. He's got this experience through, through our platform. And that goes back to community because I'm mentoring him. We have one of the biggest PR agencies in town, you know, mentoring him. I mean, he's, he, he personifies like our, our mission, you know, cause now, now, you know, our mission is to bridge a gap between cancer and college, but now this new development in the foundation is to bridge a gap between college and career. Like how do we help them develop their personal brand? Well, they can, they can do with, with digital and social media, the sky's the limit, 
you know, we, we're, we're opening up a, a blog platform. We're giving them a platform to write articles. If, they're, if, if they didn't receive a scholarship or if they did, they have a platform to write about their experience, whether it's on mental health, how to win more scholarship money. And it's just, it just perpetuates. It just keeps on expanding because the need is, will never end. It's just like Harry Potter, right? The school of Hogwarts is always accepting, you know, the, even, even after like uh, Voldemort is gone, the school of Hogwarts still goes on regardless. Great example. You have new Harry Potters. Coming <laughs> Can we dig into mentorship for a second? I know that's part of community. It sounds like you are a mentor. I know I'm sure in your community, you've had mentors as somebody looking for a mentor. I know for me, it's really hard for me to ask for something from somebody where like really as a mentor, you're just pouring into somebody and I'm asking for a mentor to pour into me without necessarily getting something back. Do you have an approach for how to ask for mentorship from somebody? Yeah, it depends on the context of it. Um, depends what field they're in. Um, in Reno, we have a, we have like an entrepreneurs assembly group or entrepreneurs organization. And there are several business professionals who are more than willing to volunteer their time. There are other organizations in the young adult cancer community. There's one called, there's an organization called Stupid Cancer. They have a, a conference every year, which I've been to a couple of times. Um, they have care, caregivers there. The, the, group, the groups are out there. You just need to be specific on what you want and have the courage to ask for help. Because if one person doesn't know it, you just have to keep asking. You don't get what you don't ask for. It's just like in sales, right? I want a referral. Well, how the hell did I, did, was that that person supposed to know that I wanted a referral if I didn't ask for it? And I think that's just with life. It's like, if, you, if you're clear on what you want, ask for it. There, there's maybe some apprehension to asking for help, but man, you don't. what I've learned about success, man, is you don't get what you don't ask for. It's as simple as just asking for it. Of course, there are more steps than that, but, but really it starts there. It starts with being willing and being open and transparent and vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I need help. Yeah. Vulnerability is, is key, man. You, you can't, if you go and thinking, you, know, you know, all the answers, man, you know, we have so much passion sometimes it's like, oh, I'm going to get through this no matter what, but man, just, just the power of, of, of being vulnerable and asking for help. And it's, it goes a long way because people People in, in my community, in my circle, man, they're always willing to step up and help. Yeah, I think we entrepreneurs just have that problem. Like we've we've got all these big problems we want to solve and we want to solve them all ourselves. But really, and even like for me, uh, I've had to lean on my team a lot in the last six months, uh, you know, putting the right people in the right places because we're, we're to a point, I own a brewery and we're just to a point where I can't do all the things myself anymore. So I've had to I've had to get vulnerable and ask my team for help. So that's kind of the, the converse of that situation is, you know, as a leader, I'm now asking for help as opposed to asking a mentor for help. So it's just a, a little bit different spin on it. But even in that situation, like that's part of the community. Like my team is my community and we all have this common goal and this common mission. If I'm not asking for help along the way, stuff doesn't get done. And, and like, dreams and ideas never come to fruition because they stop with 
the idea for me, I got to push it on to the next person and, and get them to implement it. Uh, but that's even hard. Like asking, asking your, your team for help is another form of community that gets overlooked a lot, I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, that's a great point because are you the, the founding, the, the principal owner of the brewery? I am. Yeah. We started seven years ago and it was my wife and me and one buddy that bartended for us like two days a week. So that's where we started. Now I have a team of 15 people and you know, we have, we're, we're putting cans out the door and kegs out the door. So it, like, I can't do sales and all, you know, I can't do all the things. And so at some point you have to bring some help in to, to do some of the things. Um, but that's been a hard transition for me even. Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for the foundation, like I learned that everything that I was, that I was doing over and over again for the foundation, whether it was recipient relations or donor relations or PR, I just needed, I just needed to create a job position of the tasks that I do all, all the time. And I have people that do that stuff for me now. That's on, that's on the nonprofit side, but I think the same thing is with any business. So, you know, maybe the things you're, you're doing right now, I mean, they're necessities for the business. They might not be the most glorious things, but for someone who is looking to get, you know, who has a passion for, you know, brewing and, you know, branding and label and all that stuff. And, you know, they, they want, maybe want to aspire to own a brewery themselves. I mean, you'd be an excellent mentor for them. Yeah. And I actually, I have a couple people like that, that are, that I know aren't going to be with us forever because they have, they have dreams that are bigger than my brewery. But yeah, it, it was like, I had to come to a harsh realization that I have a team of people that wants to help me. I got to let them help me. And that was a transition for me of going from, you know, I talked to, to Brandon about it too, is I, you know, I realized that I'm managing this thing and I'm not the best manager. I'm way better at telling everyone what's coming up next year, but I find myself managing and the result is uh, I'm not getting where I want to go, but it's again, that community piece of uh, I'm trying to do it all myself and the ball's getting dropped. So it's just really me owning what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and finding the right community to push those things forward. Yeah. It's, it's giving people the, the power, you know, put, put them in the driver's seat and let them run with it. Like when I, when I seek out board members and we need a specific need to be filled with the foundation, the first question I ask them is what are you passionate about? Because if they're passionate or if they have an expertise in a certain area that our foundation needs and we bring them on board, they're going to run with it. There's nothing I really have to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's finding, finding the right people for the right seats, I think is the, the key. I would like to get into this because Danny, you and I had a conversation probably a year ago at this point where you were starting to play with this idea of removing yourself and pivoting your foundation because you were kind of the catch-all and you had realized that there were some things that you needed to be doing that you didn't have time for or things that you were doing that you didn't enjoy. Walk us through that self-discovery a little bit and how did you start putting the right place, the right pieces in place to make this transition that you're going through? Well, yeah, it all comes down to pain, right? It's like I, when you feel that pain, you got to figure out a way to, to alleviate it. So I was taking on a lot by myself with the foundation and it was driving me crazy. Uh, I was burnt out after we did a huge fundraising campaign and it's like, dude, I got to get away for, for a month. But the fact of the matter is like, turns out, dude, it's like, I have board members. It's like, dude, you should have, you know, you could have asked, asked us for help, 
and the, 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 I think uh, it's easy to get trapped in that mindset, right? Because you, you, you have this passion, you fight, you can, maybe there's a control issue that comes with it as well, because you're afraid to let go of control that things might not go the way they're supposed to. Um, I think that's a le legitimate fear. And I, I experienced that myself. If you have a team of people and you have that strong culture or that strong core purpose of why the business or the charity exists, it, it's really letting, it, it's understand, understanding like the things that you're not good at from an early perspective because if you're in the driver's seat if you're the if you're the founder of a company or a business you, you're the visionary right you know where it wants to go and you can't get go anywhere if you're caught up doing the day-to-day -day mundane tasks so it, the pain got so great for me in that respect that it's like it's like dude, there's got to be there's got to be a better way there's got to be a better way to do this um so that's then it just came to my realization. It's like, well, dude, I'm going to create a job position for donor relations. So now every time someone makes a donation, that person is in contact with them. We have our scholarship candidates and recipients, a scholarship application. I mean, that's a lot of time for me to do both of those and try to grow the business, you know, try to get the brand exposure. So I, I'm, I'm the spokesperson. I'm the driving force of the foundation. I'm, the, I'm still the visionary. But now people on my board, they're, they're adopting that vision as well. And they're taking on more roles with the foundation. And you don't even have to be a board member to, to make an impact. I mean, people want to be involved just because they want to be involved. They don't need to sit on the board. I, I'm really intrigued with this because we see this whenever we're doing consulting with young leaders, people who are new to leadership roles and positions, there's a weird paradigm shift that has to break that says, you know what, now I'm leading individuals versus just getting tasks done, right? I'm managing people and their ability to get stuff done, which is where Travis was. And then there's another shift that whenever they get into that executive level, that's like, I'm no longer managing the day-to-day -day operations. I need to set a strategy and a vision for this organization. And that paradigm shift is really hard for a lot of people. And it felt like when we were talking about it, you kind of just had that on your own accord just because of the pain points, like you said. Uh, it was, the, the stress was tremendous. Hmm. I, I, I carried a lot of it on my, my own because I think, especially with entrepreneurs, we get so laser focused with like our, we get tunnel vision and it's like, we wanna be, we wanna make the dream happen, but, um, it, 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 it comes to a point that you only have so much capacity as a, as a human being, right? You only have so much physical capacity. You only have so much mental capacity. You only have so much emotional capacity. And if you, if you're exhausted all the time, you're not serving anybody, you know, and I was at that point as well to where I was just, I was, when we had our events, man, it was, it was a lot of fun, but always leading up to it. It was, it was always stressful, but as, as the foundation evolves, I'm building in more layers of redundancy. So like each of our board, like, um, like our reciprocal relations gentlemen, um, I've tasked him, find other people who can surround you as a committee for donor relations, because it is a foundation grows and we get thousands to hundreds of thousands of people, you know, wanting to donate, dude, 
you're going to have to have a team to help manage all that. The same thing that goes with our scholarship um, candidate relations dude. There's because because they're all volunteers, you know, right now. But there's only so much that Garrett can handle, you know. And Garrett Garrett Garrett's a rock star. But as the organization grows, like he's going to need to build a team around him. You know, he's going to need to build that that redundancy around him. Just going back to the passion part of things. Um, if you're passionate about something and you're not afraid to ask for help, um, I think you know you can do anything. What was the? I want to take it back a little bit because again, you you speak like a well seasoned entrepreneur. It's been you've obviously been doing this for ten years with your foundation. Before you had that entrepreneurial spirit with access, but you were an electric engineer. <laughs> like, is this something that you discovered in yourself post your battle with cancer, or is this something that you had in you earlier that you just weren't leveraging in your younger late teens early 20s i i mean i honestly didn't really know what my path was my passion was to play professional baseball see how far i could take that and that that ended in high school but i was still always involved with sports and as i said earlier like figure if i'm going to be working the majority of my life i might as well make good money so i can afford to do the things i want to do right and then the recession happened i got cancer and it really came down to what do I enjoy doing? What lights me up? What, why, am I, why am I working? I want to go see the next Metallica concert. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to next. I want to go see the next, I want to go to the next Outside Lands Music Festival or go, go to Red Rocks and see Dave Matthews or something like that. Like, those are the things that, I mean, I, I still love, I mean, because I worked in the backstage pass industry for so many years. Like, I mean, I've, I've lived the dream, man. Trust me you know, working with these sports teams and getting, you know, sent to across the country on the company dime because I was bringing in results. It was, it was fantastic, but I'm in a new era in my life. I'm 45 now, you know, the more I have more experience I have, the more I feel like I give back. And I think, you know, that's what we do at my hometown heroes. But like, once I'm not executive director anymore and I sit on the board, I'm going to be looking for other opportunities to help, help people, whether it's with edu, you know, whether it's in the school district, I just don't know what that is, or maybe it's mental health. Mental health is huge right now. Like people need a voice. They need someone to talk to, you know, and with, with cancer, it's like, man, we had our survivor summit in on August 5th of last year, all of our sessions were 45 minutes. That mental health session was an hour and a half. And we were going deep, man. It's on YouTube too. But we could have had a whole day dedicated to mental health. And we called it the power of the unspoken. Why so? Because um, if you harbor this anxiety and what you're going through, it's going to come out sometime, some way, and it's not going to be pretty people commit suicide because they don't have an outlet. They don't feel like their, their voice is worthy enough. That they, they fear that people are gonna make fun of them if they make themselves vulnerable. So, I mean, it's, I think, you know, the power on the unspoken is, 
true power indeed. And if we open ourselves up to being vulnerable and having that release and having a community to speak to, I think the whole world, especially our country, could use a lot more of that. How do we do that? What's the first step? Oh, God, that's a that's a multifaceted question right there. Let's dig in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I, I'm not a mental health expert. I can just talk from experience. But um, you know, I, I think we need to. It starts off with being kinder to people. Um, we can all practice kindness, right? We could all be courteous. We could all, you know, the the homeless guy on the street on the highway who's panhandling. Like I could always give a couple bucks here and there. Those acts of kindness are contagious. One person sees someone doing it, then they want to do it. Or sometimes, like <laughs> my couple of my good friends in college, we we uh, we used to drive to the Bay Area uh, in college, and we paid what's called a karma toll. So we used to always pay for the car behind us, so they would go through the through the toll bridge for free. Just five bucks. We're gonna we're gonna pay for this guy's toll. Just make somebody make someone's day because you don't know what other people are battling. The karma toll. I love that. Yeah, and then and always give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I think that's that's super practical advice. Just do something simple that's kind, and do something simple that is going to make somebody else's life better. Like we could all do that every single day, and it doesn't even take that much. Yeah, I mean, I I remember like one time I was at this restaurant called Bangkok Cuisine, and there's a homeless guy out there and he was cranky. He was really cranky. And, uh, he was like talking all kinds of trash and everything. <laughs> so I bought him, I bought him a full meal and he just, and he just like, it just changes attitude. This conversation is so timely, especially like we've just gone through COVID and we saw the suicide rates and the data for depression and anxiety and, like it all went through the roof, especially those first couple months, whenever we were really, um, locked down and, and it comes back to the community. Like you talked about, it talks about just being kind and generous to people. When, when these restrictions start to lift, how do you, what's the practical of getting back involved into our communities? Because a lot of these things have gone stagnant and stale. How do we pick up that momentum again to make sure that we're doing all these things that you've been talking about for the last hour? Well, I think everybody's hungry to get back out to normalcy. I know, you know, Major League Baseball, they are planning an entire full season this year. Just to put, I mean, just as an example, they can have 20% capacity in their stadiums everybody is super hungry to go back to live music, to go back to sporting events. Like it's gonna come, you know, I I've, I've heard this from a couple people, you know, as soon as this thing is eradicated, it's gonna be like the roaring twenties. We're gonna experience a whole new renaissance and culture and um, 
it's just going to be, it's going to be beautiful. But I think everything needs to run its course. And every, I think the entire world is going through this transition right now. You know, that one second or one minute too long and the transition could cost you the race. I think it's knowing what you need to do, not being uh, responsive to a situation and having the mindfulness of what's actually going on and having that self-awareness that you have the power at any given moment to choose how you react or respond to adversity. So if it's bad news, oh, dude, that sucks, dude. It sucks. But you always have a choice. And that's one thing that no one can ever take away from anybody is their, their power to choose. I want to try to predict your next big thing because I've seen a pattern from you here. Music junkie end up working with access to get access to more music because you didn't have the lifestyle that you wanted or access to enough music. So you started working for this, this individual that would let you live the dream. As you said, wanted to be a professional baseball player, didn't pan out, still love baseball, turn the same job into access to professional baseball teams and baseball players. So what I want to know is what's your current passion? Because I'm going to try to predict what your next big thing is going to be. There seems to be a pattern there. So do you want to predict it before I tell you? Oh, you already know. No, just give it to us. No, predict. I want to hear this. How good are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what's what, prediction? what's the big passion that you have right now? What's your, your pool? Because it was music and baseball. So I could predict there was something around that. Do you have the, I need an insight, a gem. Well, it's always going to be sports and, and music. I mean, I'll always love both of those till the day I die. But, um, you know, with my new role with Southwestern, you know, we work with every single, we coach every single vertical, you know, financial, real estate, uh, mortgages, um, professional sports teams, medical devices, uh, so on and so forth. You know, we're, we're literally changing lives. We, I want to be able to create more uh, of a presence in the sports industry through what we do. Granted, we do have, um, we do have experience working with sports properties, but um, you know, when, when I was with access and it's not, and it's not the end all be all type of thing, but it's something to, to strive for. Right. I get a kick out of working with these, these ball clubs, but at the end of the day, so let me, let me backtrack here. So, I feel like 20 years remission in 2020 and reinventing myself with a new career, I have a beginner's mindset. I, I'm committed to the process of success and learning and doing what's necessary to, to build myself up with the company and to, you know, because what we do, we, we coach, but we also sell coaching as well. And when we're, we're selling coaching and we bring on more clients, we're we're in the business of changing lives because I am a contractor as well. I'm a 10, 1099. I have flexibility. So to answer your question, what I really, what I'm really striving for is I want to get um, two to three years. So I want to have a, a brand new Ford F-150 and I want to be towing um, a trailer, like an, like a, an Airstream or something and having it fully integrated with Wi-Fi, so I can coach anywhere in the United States from an RV park or from a national park 
when I'm done coaching or selling coaching or get off a conference call, I'm back in my RV and I'm off to a hike or something like that. That's what I'm building towards my, you know, we're, we talk about five years, I pivot to doing something else. This is what the next five years looks like is building that type of lifestyle. You know, it's, it's not about the destination. It's who we become along the way, what we learn, the people that we meet, the people that come along on our journeys with us, because in the end, it's not, you know, when you, what it comes down to is the people that are in your life, your friends and your family, like at the end of the day, nothing else matters. As long as you have each other, you have everything. I would have guessed wrong. I thought for sure you'd be chasing concerts and sporting events, but not like that. I like it. I like it. Well, I, I no, granted, I will be going to sporting <laughs> events and concerts. Once I'll be the first one in line for sure. Don't. Yeah, that's that's a constant. I that's a it. constant. So we're running out on time here. Tell us where we can find your coaching as well as if we want to donate to the cause, to your foundation, anything we need to know about you. And obviously we'll throw some stuff in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, with regards to Southwestern coaching, you can find me at Danny Heinsen, SWC.com. Just uh, book an appointment with me there. With the foundation, just go to myhometownheroes.org and fill out the contact form for inquiries. I'm also a keynote speaker as well. So you can go to dannyheinsen.com and fill out the form. And um, I have three keynote presentations. One of them is the three disciplines of success, which are, which are what? Clarity, commitment, community. Boom. I, I just graduated. Yep. You did, man. I'm going to send you a sticker. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> Travis, anything else? No, I, I, I appreciate you being here. That was a great conversation. Uh, I think, I, I hope everyone gets a lot out of that. Danny, thank you for being so gracious with your time and your story, man. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep supporting the community and you and I will talk offline. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Congrats on getting the podcast going too. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. We'll take it easy. We'll see you guys next time.